0: He is a legend of caddian. 40 years of Cadian. This is going to be his 30th Masters coming up here this year. So much that he brings to the table. And listen, he's looped for the likes of Seve Ballesteros, all things European tour, all the stars, right? So like Darren Clark, Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood for 10 years, uh, Thomas Bjorn, you name it. Like anybody in Ryder Cup history, this guy really has a, a pretty good uh resume and now he's with matt fitzpatrick just won his first major back there at brookline at the u.s open so there's a lot of fun stuff there we do get into fitzpatrick some of his greatest strengths what separates him from the other players he's caddied for in the past why did he win a major and maybe some of the others that he was with uh didn't get it done so it's interesting we, we get into some stories as well i mentioned Sevy by we'll get into plenty of Seve stories to detail this guy is a storytelling mach- machine and he what's the Sevy voice on a spanish enthusiastic voice so it's a lot of fun anyway Sevy and so many other things anyway billy foster here on beyond the clubhouse all right I, I i am pleased to be joined by my next guest he's a caddy of 40 years billy foster won the u.s open a few months back with matt fitzpatrick and you caddy for basically anybody who's been big in european golf lee westwood sergio garcia for 18 months uh who else i mean you just name it darren clark captains rider cup heroes i mean you've been a part of 15 Ryder cups yourself so uh quite a career billy how you doing buddy
1: <laughs> yeah thanks man uh, i feel like a dinosaur after that introduction but um you know <laughs> yeah it's uh it's been uh it's been a great forty years, and like I said, it's like, uh, you know, it's like being on a, a forty-year bachelor party. Really, you know, I've seen the, It's like a Clint Eastwood movie, you know. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know.
0: Well, speaking of the forty years of bachelor party, there's been a lot of friends of yours over the years that you've, you know, thinking of Johnny Longsocks, Johnny McLaren, and so many of these guys that have now gone to the live tour. And and what do you make of 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 what live has has done here, in in, in terms of you know, this adjustment?
1: <laughs> it's a bit of a prickly subject for everybody, isn't it? You know, it's, um, but I'm a pretty honest, humble bloke that <laughs> shoots straight from the and tells it as it is, you know, it's, um, you know, like I say, I, I, would say 10 of my best, best mates, um, that I've caddied with most of my career. I'd say probably seven of them are now on the live tour, which, uh, and getting treated like kings, you know, which is, uh, and when you listen to them um, giving you a bit of abuse and saying how good they've got it, and, you know, they're they're playing three-round tournaments and playing for millions of dollars, and there's 48 players, and, you know, they've got it good out there, you know, but, um, you know, on the flip side, will they be still saying that in two years' time? I don't know. It's... It's opened up a can of worms where the PGA Tours come out fighting, and we're very fortunate that you know it's a win-win for everybody because um, we're playing for well, not me personally, but the players are playing for obscene money. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's double the money. You know, for because the PGA Tours got to fight back against the Live Tour, I guess. And you know, unfortunately for me, I've grown up since 1980. Two eighty-three, where you know one of the first tournaments I caddied in. I caddied for Tony Johnson from Zimbabwe, and he finished seventh in the Portuguese Open, and um, he won a thousand euros. You know, a thousand dollars basically, and I got five percent back then. And it was like fifty dollars percentage money for finishing seventh, and you had to, as a caddy, you pay your own way. And I had to get from England to Portugal. We couldn't afford to get on an airplane. Couldn't afford. Um, any decent accommodation, and it, it was there was no yardage books, no range balls, no credit cards, no mobile phones, no internet, no no um, sat nav, no nothing. It was everything was like two days on a train or buses or hitchhiking on motorways. I slept in a bush one night, you know, oh, and you know I slept in some horrible places, and but it was the case of I was travelling to. Learn more about the game myself to make my own golf game better, and just to do a bit of traveling around Europe, you know. And um, I was going to do it for two years and 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 quit, you know. And here I am, forty years down the line, and guys, caddies are flying around on private jets, and you know everything. is are staying in nice hotels, and you know, they're playing for multi-million dollars and flying on the boss's private jets. It's <laughs> yardage books are provided for you, which are, are so brilliant a caddy don't have to do his job like they used to do. It's, And that's why you're seeing so many friends, girlfriends, brothers, sisters, cousins, ex-players. Well, everybody's caddying. Everybody's yeah, caddying co- because now caddying isn't what it used to be. So it's so brilliant. The money's so great that everybody wants to do it. And the yardage books are so brilliant that it's taken the way of the true form the true art of caddying that it used to be. So anybody can carry basically. Guys can turn up and buy a yard now and play a golf course pretty much without really seeing it. You know, with, without really having to do a couple of hard days homework. It's all there for you. So it's it's uh, that's why you're seeing so many, you know, friends and and relatives caddying. It's a simple. That's the bottom line.
0: Yeah, I mean, is that. And that just kind of is what it is, or or is it is it hard for like the real diehard caddies like yourself who came up along the ranks to
1: kind of see? No, listen, I, of, I just you know? get on, I just get on with my own, my own stuff, you know. And um, listen, I've like I said, I've, the Clint Eastwood, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I've <laughs> been very fortunate to to see the good. And right at the end of my career, you know, there you go, Matt Fitzpatrick knocks off the U.S. Open, I, mean, it's, I have no arguments whatsoever, but I can see guys that have been out a long time and struggled and, and worked hard. And then all of a sudden everything changes. And yeah, I can see a few, few of the, the old guy being a bit bitter and twisted, but I'm not one of them, but I can see the point, but you know, the game's evolved and it's, a, it's a different game to what it used to be. You know, it's it's like today I've been on the range with Matt Fitzpatrick and, you know, it's the information of reps and the track man and this swing weight and putting weight in the grip and you know it's the lofts the lies and everything everything's like a science all of a sudden it's like just trying to get that extra half a percent to make it better and now we're telling fitz's story today you know ian Woosden was number one in the world and at the time he was number four in the world and he came to the, the british masters at the belfry in england and he's like, oh, I can't hit this driver, you know. He'd signed with this Japanese company, um, Mariman, and he was really struggling with the drivers and this and that. And um, I said, Oh, Rosie, I've got, I've got my golf clubs in the car. I'll, I'll get my driver out if you want. Oh yeah, bring it. Let's have a look at it. And, I, oh, <laughs> and this is funny. going back. This is uh, this is going back to like the probably mid nineties. <laughs> I went to my car, pulled out my driver, which it was a, a Mizuno TP eleven persimmon. Headed small driver with a steel shaft, and it was like an inch shorter than standard. Which <laughs> it was. He being a short ass. <laughs> I said, "Here, was he try that?" Like, and it went, "Boom, boom, boom." He says, oh, "I love that." He says, "I'm taking it out in the tournament." I went, what? And he played with it. He played the whole tournament with my driver. will that, <laughs> that would never happen today. I mean, it's not. Everything has to be absolute a science, like of. Let's get on the track, man, and let's just try and confuse myself to the hilt, and come out with every number going, it's like, wow, it beggars belief at times. I shake my head at times, just thinking how much these guys try and confuse themselves with, it's almost paralysis by analysis, you know, and it's, you see so many guys get to the top of the game, and then the change sinks. Yeah. You know, I'm not knocking like a I can't really name names, can I? But we all know them. And there's been plenty of them where they get to the very top of the game. And they just want to go that step further and improve them. more. They'll change manufacturers, clubs, change of swing, swing speeds, long drivers, long putters, short putters. And it's like they go from like top 10 in the world, number one in the world, and they they disappear off the planet because they do something that they don't need to do. You know, it's... (laughs) It's bizarre at times, but um, hey, listen, it's been a it's been a great forty years, and um, I know my days are numbered. But um, listen, I've had a great time, and uh, the the game's never been in better shape. I know at the minute there's a lot of arguments with the live, the PGA Tour, and unfortunately, the one for me that hurts me, like I was starting to say five minutes ago before I went on a a rambling rambling over the last four years was um, the, one, the one tour that, that I've grown up all my life. And like you said, I've done 15 Ryder Cups and the European tours are be all and end all. And when, you know, I grew up with, originally it was like your Sandy Lyles, your, your Nick Faldo's, your Seve Ballesteros, your Ian Woosnams, Langer's. And then you went on to Montgomery's Westwood's, um, Darren Clark's, et cetera. Uh, Garcia you know the great that was the heart and soul the heartbeat of the European Tour and them lads always used to support the European Tour and now it's like it's done because all the best players now either come to America or you know the devil comes calling and they're on the live and it's <laughs> whatever you want to call it you know it's uh, I don't know where the European Tour is going and uh, it, it breaks me out to be quite honest that you know you get one or two good tournaments In the desert to start, and then you know they're not playing for a lot of money, and they they got air there and everywhere all over the world until the Scottish Open in July, basically. And the thing is, uh, the PGA tours condensed its season from say January until August, and there's so many good tournaments in America that. You know the guys struggle to to get a proper schedule of spreading the 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 weeks. You know because there's so many good tournaments that you don't want to miss them, but you end up missing really good tournaments because you can't be playing five, six, seven in a row. You you want to play two or three and have a week off or a couple of weeks off and then play another two or three. But you're almost getting bullied into playing so many in a short space of time. So that stops you playing the European tour until maybe. September Right So a- so the European tour Has been Squeezed by the throat Because all the top players Want to play The best tournaments But uh, I think it's a bit unfair What's happened You know And unfortunately Out of all the tours The European tours The one that's Suffered
0: yeah, and, and and where does that where does that lead, do you think? I mean, you you're so passionate about it. You grew up on that tour, and now bet, yeah. just with all these elevated status of the PGA tour, people want to stay in the States. So what does this mean for the future? What do you how do you see this playing out these next few months and and how does it affect relationships?
1: I don't know about relationships. Everybody, everybody listen, golf's a selfish sport, and everybody just wants to look after the self. So they don't really care about anybody else, but that's that's a brutal, honest truth about golfers, you know. And um, I don't know where it's going. You know, it's uh, let's see what happens this week. There's obviously a court ruling in in um, London this week regarding uh, the likes of Henrik Stenson, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, etc. Are they going to be banned from playing from the European Tour? Are they going to be banned from? been including Ryder Cup teams etc Sergio Garcia so, you know it's like I personally I would like to see the likes of Westwood Stenson Walter Garcia still be involved in Ryder Cup so alright maybe it's a stage they might not be playing anymore but they've certainly given so much over the last 20 years inside the locker room and on the golf course that just not to include them and for their experience, and even if it's in the backroom staff or whatever, I'd, I'd still love to see those guys be involved. But I don't know. It's um, Maybe I don't know enough about it. And maybe there is a lot of uh, bit of twistedness and guys not liking them going to that side and coming back in. And I guess the feel is that some guys. On both sides of the pond feel as though them guys have left. And why should they go make fortunes on live and then come and cherry pick where they want to play in the PGA tour and the the DP World Tour, the European Tour as I always always call it. Right. And I can see certain players that are on the European tour or the PGA tour, they don't want them players coming back and choosing an event they want to play. I, I sort of like to see that. Uh, I don't know what the answer is, you know, personally. I think you'd just like to see the best players. And the PGA tours a different animal, I know that. But in Europe, for me, would you like to see some very average players? I'm not naming names. Or would you like to actually say, well, actually, what if what if Justin Johnson and Bryson, DeChambeau and Cam Smith and Henrik Stenson and Lee Westwood and Sergio Garcia, and Ian Pollard want to play in Wentworth or wherever it is? I'm sure the public would love to see them. But what the answer is, is beyond me, right?
0: But but it's you. It's a tough man, one.
1: It's a tough one, man.
0: Yeah, and, and you can't take away history. I mean, Sergio Garcia is the all-time winning points getter uh, in all of Ryder Cup history. This is including the greatest that I've yeah, listen, i have ever played.
1: You know, it's crazy to me. I mean, I I counted five years for Seve Ballesteros, who was the linchpin of making the Ryder Cup <laughs> what it is today, regarding nastiness and hatred and passion and desire and oh yeah, I mean he would like. <laughs> slash the fella's throat and rip his heart out and present it to him on a plate on the 18th green to get a point. And he, he made the Ryder Cup what it is today, you know. But you look at those guys, like you said, Sergio Garcia is the, the biggest point scorer of, of European golf ever with whatever it is, 25 points. And then Lee Westwood's like number three on the all-time list behind Faldo at like 23. And then you've got Poulter who's played seven Ryder Cups and never lost a single. You know, they they're very inspirational european players and to not include them for me i won't be doing it i'll be including them but but that's me
0: right yeah i've always said that i've always thought that the spirit of Sevy lives on through team writer team europe you know as, as you've gone ahead in these last 20 years you know and uh well he passed in 2011 but so I, I guess we're looking at 12 years since then but still like that spirit that united spirit of the Ryder Cup European team has been so strong um, and you did mention working for Sevi for five years I'm curious what's a favorite memory you, you've gotten so many with Sevi, but what are a couple favorite memories and you can use that Seve voice that we all know so well uh that come to your mind from looping for him
1: uh listen I mean Listen, when Seve used to play a Ryder Cup, when he put his spikes on in the locker room, and as soon as that European logo went on his breast, and he put that European hat on with the logo on his hat, and last but not least, he put like the, the European dog muzzle on. <laughs> he used to have a muzzle like a demented dog, like a demented rock violer, frothing at the mouth, walking to the first, so he just wanted to rip. The Americans out, out. That that was, and he would like, crawl over broken glass to get half a point or a point or whatever it was. He was like an absolute animal, animal. He was the most determined golfer of all time, I believe. Really, you know, he was. Um, yeah, he 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 fought like a junkyard dog to get everything that he um, that he got out of the game, you know, but. Um, <laughs> There' one funny story that because um, Seve was renowned for bullying referees, and you know, he'd, he'd like be a hard man on the golf course, and if he could get away with something, he would. You know, you know, referee, come and have a look at this. You know, I want this, I want that. You know, there's a rabbit spray beard and You know, he was a tough, tough man. You know, and um, and he was playing with Tony Johnson at the Dutch Open, came in a golf club. And it was a six hole. It was a blind tee shot over the top of the hill. And Seve was a big bomber, you know, back in the day. Tony Johnson was just a steady knocker. You know, he he did it like 270 back in the day. And Seve be 300. And that was, you know, back then, 30 years ago, it was a um, big hitter, like, you know. So the player this hole, blind tee shot over the top of the hill. And the second shot, it was a dogleg to the right. But on the corner of the dogleg was a tree. Hmm. So they get down to the first ball. Tony Johnson stops at the first ball, about 270 off the tee. He's blocked out by the tree on the corner. Seve goes walking past ball 30 yards further. Clear shot to the green, perfect. So Tony Johnson is now looking at this shot and he's thinking, I can't go over the tree. It's too high. I can't go under the tree because it's thick, rough under the tree. I'm going to have to chip it out to the left, short left of the green, trying up and down it for par but then he notices a sprinkler head like two or three feet away from his ball. He thinks, if I can get my foot on that and claim I'm stood on it while I'm playing my shot, maybe I can get a club end, club relief to the left. Might just be a skirt around this tree, you know.
0: He's she going
1: prayer. prayer? Oh, so now he's like, he's doing the splits to get his foot on this sprinkler. <laughs> Sevi says, come and have a look at this. So now he's, he's, he's nearly... He's nearly doing the splits to get his feet on the sprinkler. Seve's come across and go, what is it, Tony? He says, Seve, you see me? My foot's on the sprinkler. He says, "Uh, can I get a drop? And Seve goes, Tony, Tony, (laughs) Tony, I I am so sorry, yeah? Tony, I am so sorry. (laughs) You know that is not your natural stance, eh? So I'm really sorry, but I cannot give you a drop, eh? He said, good, Seve, that's your ball. Mine's over there. (laughs) Yeah. What was
0: the look on Seve's face at that point?
1: Oh, he'd be, like, be like, he will not be amused. At, no, no, I would be like, face like thunder. Yeah. I mean, the first time I caddied for Seve at the Masters was 1991. And um, I'd never been to the Masters before. Wow. So I got there on the Saturday prior to the week of the tournament. So he played Saturday on his own, nobody else. Just Seve Ballesteros on his own round Augusta. Seven hours practice round. And a one ball. He had like 50 chips, 100 putts, every hole. Showed me every blade of grass he'd ever hit a Shot off in the 10 previous Masters. <laughs> and we got in, I was absolutely shattered. And he played Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Five practice rounds. Oh my God. And you know what Augusta's like? It is the most mentally demanding golf course of the season, and elevation-wise, it's one of the most physically demanding. So after five practice rounds, I were like, "I've had enough. <laughs> I want to go home." Like, you know, but then, boss, let me the go. Tournament. Then the tournament starts. So I'm thinking, I know I to like the back of my hand now. I've just listened to Seve so two-time champion for five days. I know this golf course now, like you know. So, and uh we take off. The most amazing thing happens off the ninth. Seve, it's a fair way. So we go down there, really, how far we have it. I said, well, you've got 144 yards, mate. Okay, give me the pitching wedge, eh? I went, no, no, Seve, I said, it's 144, but it's six yards uphill and it's uphill, into yeah. the wind from the right. I said, it, I said it's playing like 155. It's a 9 nine. Okay, Billy, yeah, you're, a very, uh, you're a very good carrier, the best carrier I ever have. I a fantastic carrier. Give me the 9-9. Eh? So he gets the 9-9 out, believes me. Now the pins on the front left, just over the bunker. And you know yeah. what it goes, it's a three-tiered marble staircase. I don't know. He gets this 9-9 all over the flag. And he's taking paint off the flag because so it's landing. I'm like, oh, at well, this is going to be like foot. Crowd are going to go mad thousands around the green throwing hats in the air. Woo! Billy, all that rubbish, you know. Lands on the green. Silence. Oh, Billy, you see the ball, really huh? Billy, you see the ball? <laughs> I said, it looked good to me, mate. And he starts running up the hill because obviously, all you can see is the top of the flagstick. So you can't see where the ball is. It goes running up the hill. And I'm right in the valley at the bottom of the hill as he gets level with the front of the green where his eyes. He sees where the ball is. (laughs) Sure enough, it's back edge. Ooh, that's a tough one on nine. He hit the down slope of the bunker or something, gone up the back edge. So now he's got an 80-foot putt down a three-tiered marble staircase with about 10-foot break on it. You know the rules. So he sees the ball. He turns around at the top of the hill. bearing in mind, it's 10 deep, all down the fairways, round the green. There's a couple of thousand people all round the green. I'm like, and he screams at me from the top of the hill. Billy, Billy. You son of my bitch, Billy, you son of my bitch! I'm like, oh no. And I got all the people in the crowd going, hey, nice club, kid, I'm going, to piss off. And I'm taking the walk of shame up the hill to the ninth green, and I'm greeted by the ugliest scowl, black eyes piercing through you. He just wants (laughs) to slash your head off and shit down your neck. Why I listen to you I listen to you, you son of a bitch. Anyway, so he rips the putter out of the bag. And I'm like, I go stand at the back of the green. And he hits this putter. He surveys this putt for like two minutes. And he hits this putt straight across the green to the other side. Sidewards. do not even go at the flag. And it stops in the fringe. Now he's like (laughs) 70 feet (laughs) away. He's still 70 feet away in three, and I'm like, oh, my God. He's going to go absolutely <laughs> bananas now. He's going to actually could kill me. And I'm looking at the clubhouse, thinking, that I may as well just run to the clubhouse now. But then I, the notice the ball starts trickling back. You can see the dimples on the ball just turning over slowly. You can actually read the name on the ball at the time as it's rolling back onto the green. T-I-T. I thought, <laughs> I know that already. <laughs> And it, it manages the spirit's way back onto the green. It trickles down these two tiers, one by one, you know, 10 foot of break, And it parks itself four inches from the all I'm like, oh, <laughs> get out of jail free there. What a put like, you know. And then the scowl, Amazing. the ugliness. He comes up now, he's got the most radiant smile on his face. And he's like, he's hugging me. He's got his arm around me, patting me on the shoulder. And going, Billy, <laughs> Billy, it's not your fault. Eh? No, 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 Billy, <laughs> let me tell you. Billy, I'm telling you, it's not your fault, eh? It's mine for listening to you. <laughs> oh my God! Welcome to Augusta, 63 holes to go. Oh my God! But the guy was an absolute legend, and um, you know, 95% of the time I loved him. Five percent of the time, I wanted to headbutt him. You know, but um, Yorkshire Terrier. It, you know? it was. It was. A, it was. Um, it was a great character, feisty, feistiest golfer on the planet. Like. And if you in match play against him, he's the one guy you will not want to play because, you know, he'd be hovering over you, just coughing and sputtering and just – you're always aware he's on your shoulder. Like, you know, he was uh, the gamesmanship and he was a hard, hard competitor. But he was an absolute warrior, the ultimate warrior.
0: Yeah. When you called him also a legend of a man, an incredible talent in the past. And I'm curious, when you look at your current player now, Matthew Fitzpatrick, what do you feel are kind of his greatest strengths that really separate him from 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 everybody else and and you mentioned Augusta National when you go to Augusta with him how does his game match up with Augusta? It fits. Pretty, yeah.
1: You know, when I first took the job it was at the end of 2018 so I'm just about to start my 5th year and I could be sacked after this podcast but um <laughs> <laughs> And you know, I always thought Fitz was a really steady, nice player, uh, of course, which he is, you know, and I thought, well, what's he going to do? Um, he didn't have a PGA talk out. I thought, well, he'll play in Europe and you know, he might win one a year and, you know, he might possibly make a Ryder Cup team. Nice, steady job, you know, nice, steady job. And I went to a meeting and, you know, the few guys around the table, you know, his coach. His, his physio, his manager, his mum, dad, and a few others, myself. I'm just listening to what they say. And on peak, I'm peak and to him, him, uh, what's your goals, Matt? And at the time, I think he was like 48th in the world, he says, and I'm expecting, what's your goals? I'm thinking, he might say, well, I want to get my PGA Tour card or I might want to win two tournaments in Europe or I want to make the Ryder Cup team. He says, I want to be world number one. I'm like... I almost started laughing, I'm like, You're joking at you? I thought if you can get in the top twenty in the world, you would be doing well, soon. you know. It's like but I sit here tonight talking to you, he's I think he's ninth in the world, whatever he is, and he's he's turned into a different animal. You know, he's he's twice the player he was four years ago for various reasons. Um he's obviously in the golf ball a lot longer than he used to do, which helps incredibly. Um but the one thing about Fitz is, you know, I, I look at the, the guys I've worked for, Yuseve Ballesteros, your Lee Westwoods for 10 years, your Darren Clarks for 11 years, your Sergio Garcia's, Tiger Woods i worked for for a week at the President's Cup. You know, I've worked yeah. for some real, Thomas Thomas Bjorn when he should have won the opening and left it in that bunker three times. I've worked for some really good players. And, and then Fitz is the one you win a major with. And I, why is that? Well, The reason is that he drives the ball incredibly well, so he's he's always in play. Uh, He's one of the best putters that I've seen, but the one thing that makes Fitz really, really special is his work ethic, his professionalism, and his mental attitude is way beyond his years. You know, Mm. and... You know, and, and you might, some people might argue, he's, he's, you know, he's not the ball striker that, say, Garcia is or whatever, or, you know, you don't chip it as good as Phil Mickelson or whatever. You don't drive the ball as long as Rory McIlroy or whatever, but the whole round package is, he doesn't really have a weakness in his his, his, his mental attitude and his work ethic mm. is, is, is like no other. So, um, He's got many, many good years ahead of him. Uh, whether the old dog that I am will be able to limp around like Fluff Cow and, and, and follow him for all those years, I very much doubt it. But uh, he won't win one major. He'll, he'll win more than one major. Um, it might take him another few years to win another one, but in which case I won't be there. But, I mean, um, he's a top, top player. Top, top player.
0: Yeah. Well, you had said that he um, is one of the best putters you've ever seen in in your career. Just, 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 yeah, just he's, one he's of the a, absolute best.
1: He's an aggressive putter, you know. It's always it's always got pace, you know. Which the poor putters are always just feebly just reaching the hole, you know. The great putters give it a run, you know, because they're so not this, scared of the they're not scared of the Freight footer coming back, you know. So, are there
0: any adjustments that need to happen at Augusta? Like when he goes into Augusta, does he have to take slight scale back a little bit on the speed or, or or what do you see with that with him matching up to Augusta
1: he's got everything right uh, he's, he don't have to change anything And uh, it's so one thing that fits uh, people say well do you think he can win a, a, an open championship do you think he can win a US Open do you think he can win the Masters and uh, I think he can win anywhere and that is because his all round game is very very solid you would say certain players that can't win there. Fitz can win anywhere. So, yeah. you don't have to do anything different. No. And the one thing is that in major championships, you know, it's like, you know, I worked for Lee Westwood for 10 years, my God. He could have won eight majors. You know, yeah. if he have had Fitz putting for him when it mattered, he'd have certainly won three or four majors, Wesley, you know, and, and Certain things happened in certain majors that he was robbed. Or, but more normally than not, he didn't hold the putts when it mattered on a Sunday of a major, you know, and that was one of the most frustrating things. You know, he got to number one in the world putting, like, Edward Scissorhands, you know. That's how good he was. <laughs> tita Green, yeah. he was unbelievable, you know. He did a five iron and, and it had gone, he had to go 200 yards and after it had gone... 20 yards, I could tell you that's within 10 feet. He was that brilliant with his distance mm. control, his, his ball strike and the purity was incredible. And um, yeah, Fitz had a put it for me. They won many majors. But as we say in England, if my auntie had balls, she'd be my uncle. <laughs> And you, and you can't have it all.
0: I mean, that's just the nature with the game that we're playing these days. I know it's a work week for you. In, in in just 20, 30 seconds, tell me what it's like at 16th hole. We're wrapping up here, but what's what's it like on 16th hole at Phoenix? How crazy is it?
1: It's like no other. It's like I went out there today, you know, you've got the music banging out like you could hear it <laughs> five miles away, you know, and it's like you walk into that cauldron of – it's a football stadium. It's a – very simple, short pathway. It's a nine-nine, a wedge. <laughs> There's nothing to it. But when you walk into that cauldron of, it's like Mel Gibson, Gladiator, walking into that <laughs> arena and uh, the bane yeah. for your blood. The bane for your blood, the one you shank <laughs> it or top it in a bush. And it's like, you, I don't give a damn. It's like walking onto the 17th at Sawgrass. It's a nine-nine. Get over yourself. Yes, These are the on. best players in the world. But guess what? They keep cocking it up because it is a pressure like you've never experienced. And I walked out there today, it's like, it makes me laugh. It, the bullshit of it all, it just is like, it makes me chuckle because you walk in there, it's like, wow, this is like absolutely banging. And that's on a Wednesday morning at half past ten. where well, we're going to get there at five o'clock on Friday night when they're all tanked up with 15 beers inside them, giving dogs abuse for every shot And those... I don't give a damn who it is. It could be Tiger Woods. They feel a pressure that is completely different when you stand on that tee.
0: Yes, it like is. Like they do
1: at Yeah. Yeah, it so, is, uh, it's another pressure. It's another level of pressure.
0: There's so much more we could cover, Billy. I know it's a work week. I'll be sensitive to your time, let you get up uh, for your first round. But, hey, really enjoyed <laughs> it, and we'll uh, we'll catch up again soon, my friend.
1: No worries. All the best, pal.
0: All right, my thanks to Billy Foster for jumping on the pod. I love that ending there going at the Phoenix Open, talking about 16 of the atmosphere. This guy would know know how to compare that to other golf holes that he has caddied for in the past. But just a lot of fun memories. I love what he shared about Lee Westwood, about uh, Seve Ballesteros, the Ryder Cup. Of course, live golf kind of at the top of this. Uh, What does it mean for the future of the european tour obviously the dp world tour now and he's obviously so passionate about it and and the effect on on its future so we'll see a lot to be decided there but anyway billy foster big thanks to him and hope you guys enjoyed what he had to say and, and the stories here on beyond the clubhouse